Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the US, the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with Terry Boyle McDougall, a seasoned marketer, executive career coach, and podcast host from Chicago. In this episode, Terry discusses the challenges women often face at the leadership level, as well as how to build a thriving career, whether you're a corporate executive or an entrepreneur. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great, Nat. How are you? So good. And you're calling from pretty far away. Do you want to let our listeners know where you are? Yes, I am in Chicagoland, Illinois. How snowy is it right now? This is actually airing in the summertime. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is it's February as we're taping this and I have about two and a half feet of snow in my front yard. Wow, Wow, two and a half feet. Yes, it has snowed. I think it snowed probably 10 or 11 days out of the last two weeks. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. But you know what? It's here's, crazy. Here's the thing. I actually, I haven't visited home this winter. Mm. I typically have like a, a winter visit and I wasn't able to do it because of um, COVID. But I miss snow. I miss the feeling <laughs> of snow and like fireplaces and all of that stuff and snowmen. Aww. So good. It is fun. I mean, it's it, this is the first time that we've had this much snow in a, in a few winters, and mm. it's kind of fun. Yeah, very pretty. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's gorgeous. Everything looks clean outside. It's like this, this blank slate of yeah. the universe when it snows. Um, so you have a pretty interesting business and also a podcast, but we like to get started by asking you, you know, who you really are and how you became the woman you are today. Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) So, well, I'll tell you what I do now. I'm an executive and career coach, Mm -hmm. and I work with high-achieving professionals who are successful but not satisfied. Okay. And what I mean – oh, go ahead. (laughs) No, I'm just like, oh, that sounds like a lot of people. (laughs) I know a lot of people. It does sound a lot of people. (laughs) Right, right. And and quite frankly, it's like I coach people like me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, it's it's, – you can really understand it if you've been through it yourself. But what I mean by that is that if you look at, you know, these people on paper, you'd be like, wow, they're so successful. What do they have to complain about? Mm -hmm. But they usually are paying a high price for their success in terms of feeling stressed out, you know, maybe feeling anxious, having, you know, that stress kind of leak out into their personal life. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're working harder than what they need to, or they want to, Mm -hmm. to maintain that success. And what I try to help people do is it's sort of twofold, work on things um, from a mindset standpoint. So really kind of look at what are the beliefs that are keeping you kind of in this pattern of doing things that, you know, where you're achieving, but you're not feeling happy. Right. And then also help them with 
uh, skill development. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times, you know, people will get promoted and there's really not anybody that trains them or mentors them on what they need to do differently as they rise within the organization. And I will work with people, you know, one of the big things I'll work with people on is recognizing and beginning to use uh, what I call leverage points so that they can have more impact without, you know, so much effort and stress. Right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how did you get there? Well, so there must have, you must like, you know, have had this experience yourself or like there's a lot of things that mm, you've yeah, learned along definitely. the way in your career to be able mm. to like talk to people on this level where it's like, I get it. So what was... Yeah, I mean, I had a long career. Mm. I, I worked um, as a marketer for 30 years mm. before I switched over to become a coach. And so, you know, there were many times in my career, especially early on, where I was very ambitious and I was trying to figure out, like, how do I get ahead? Yeah. And I a lot of times I just felt like I was banging my head against the wall. I could not figure out. It really... I mean, I have a, a book that's called Winning the Game of Work. And the reason why I called it that is because... I didn't realize that I was playing a game when I was at work. I was just coming in like a babe in the woods, you know, and and I was wondering why I felt like I was getting taken advantage of or I was working so hard and I wasn't getting the advancement or recognition that I thought I deserved. And I'd say that between, you know, kind of the school of hard knocks, like learning some things just the hard way Mm -hmm. and also being lucky enough to have two or three good mentors along the way who I think saw something in me and and were willing to sort of take me aside and start what I think of as pulling back the curtain on what was really going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and that, that was really helpful because I didn't, there were a lot of things that I, I was just kind of naive about and I didn't really understand what the dynamics of things that were going on at work. Mm-hmm. And as I, um, I actually hired coaches a couple times too in my career where I was sort of running into obstacles and I could not figure get out how to get past them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so having experienced that myself, I recognize like, oh, okay, like you can shift how you look at things and it makes a big difference in how you show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, the last company that I worked for, I was there for 12 years and Um, I actually moved from North Carolina to Chicago for the job that I got here. I was recruited Mm -hmm. and I came in, I I headed marketing for the investment bank and I was, I was excited. It was a great promotion for me. I actually Mm -hmm. did continue working with the coach that I had worked with in North Carolina to help me, you know, kind of get my sea legs and, and feel confident as I was moving into this role because it was a pretty nice promotion for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I kind of say that I got a, a PhD in office politics working, <laughs> at, you know, as a as the head of marketing for the investment bank because investment bankers are very driven. They do not pull their punches. It's very male dominated. And so there were a lot of headwinds mm. <laughs> that were kind of against me as a, as a female marketer. Right. And, um, I also, you know, felt a lot of pressure in terms of, um, 
you know, I, I'm married and I have three kids. And when we moved here to Chicago for that job, we actually decided that my husband would stay home with the kids Mm -hmm. because they were pretty young at the time. And so I had to make this work. (laughs) You know, there was no going back. And so I, I just no pressure, like financial pressure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I suppose a little bit of ego too, right? I didn't want to go scurrying back or anything like that. But um, you know, just being determined to figure out and to stand my ground and to figure out how to influence within the organization. And, you know, I'd say there were definitely days that I felt like I got run over by a truck, but there were also days that I was figuring out how to influence mm. within the organization. And that felt really, really good whenever there was like, you know, uh, a leader that was a little recalcitrant and I was able to figure out, okay, like what makes him tick? Yeah. And what do I need to do to get him to say yes to this, you know, campaign or proposal or whatever that I was putting in front of him? And so, um, you know, just do you have any just, relatable stories that you can share about the days when you felt like you were getting run over by a truck? Do you have any like <laughs> scenarios or situations where you just felt like you were being unfairly judged or you were you caught a lot of flack that you didn't deserve or, or whatever it was. Yeah, I to handle those office I, politics. I, yes. <laughs> yes. I I um you know in investment banking, the bankers are the stars. And mm-hmm. like a lot of these guys have very deep relationships in industry verticals. Mm-hmm. And if the bank is able to recruit somebody from from another bank. It's like a big feather in their cap. And we had recruited somebody over from one of the um, industries, and he was just really hard nosed. I mean, a lot of a lot of people. I, I'm pretty good at building rapport, mm-hmm. and usually I could go in with a new banker and and build rapport, and we could like find a nice you know, middle ground that we could build our relationship and I could understand what their needs were and we could kind of come up with stuff from a marketing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy, and this is like back in like 2006 and surprisingly, I don't know, I guess it was just sort of at the beginning of like the email marketing platforms. Yeah. And our bank, even though it's a pretty big organization, we did not have an enterprise-wide email marketing platform. Huh. And, um, you know, we had sort of a, a centralized, I guess, centers of excellence area of marketing. And then there were uh, business areas of marketing. And I was, I was, you know, the head of marketing for this particular business, but mm-hmm. then we would use sort of centralized resources for things like email marketing. Yes. And gotcha. um, so, you know, this guy comes in and the place that he had been before, they had had a pretty sophisticated email marketing platform and he he was able to send out these newsletters on a regular basis and he came in and you know I had somebody on my team that was working with him and he just was beating her up really badly because his expectations weren't being met and so you know I went to a meeting with him and his boss and some other people and you know and honestly it's like five guys and two women yeah. from marketing right there's yeah. there's this uh, that kind of dynamic mm-hmm. Um, but he was very unhappy that his needs couldn't be met. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we're trying to figure out like, well, how do we do this? And I was trying to find the people within the larger organization that had access to it's a, this is a very long story, but you know, bottom line, we did eventually find an email marketing platform and we jumped through all the hoops that we needed to, to get 
a contract signed. And when you work with a very large organization, it's, oh, you know, yeah. I can't just Weeks sign the contract. Legal, I have to yeah. go for procurement and <laughs> yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And so holding him off so that he's not like, you know, complaining, you know, high and low, which he was already doing right. um, about, about us. Um, and we were doing what we could to sort of like patch something together to meet his needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually we got the platform in place. It, it actually became the enterprise platform as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just sort of had to withstand a period of time where he was complaining a lot. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of reassure my bosses. I had to go to like the head of that industry group and you know, try to patch up the relationship there until we could get sort of on a, uh, a regular cadence with this repeatable process. Did you feel like we eventually got there during this time? Did you feel like your expertise or leadership skills were being called into question because you didn't have a solution for him? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, he came from what, what we call like a boutique investment bank, which, yeah, that means all they did was investment banking. Yeah. I worked for a large bank that had a lot of, you know, it had retail, it had commercial banking, it had wealth management, it had investment banking, it had asset management, it had, you know, and that that's a very complex organization. And usually within marketing, they try to have, you know, quote unquote, shared services, mm-hmm. but which probably for the organization overall is a good thing. But a lot of times, when you're one of the smaller businesses, like you're not retail, mm. it's, it can be really hard to get access to those resources. Right. And bottom line, this guy could care less. He right. could care less what tr- problems I was having. Right. And so I, I think one of the things that I learned through that is that sometimes you just got to take your licks for a while and just not get too worried about it, right? Like I wasn't going to start feeling bad about myself because he was doubting me. Mm -hmm. I just had to. Interesting. Yeah, go ahead. So Mike, you said something interesting and it's, I think actually, I've, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately and I think women take their licks too often without advocating for themselves or stopping and saying, hey, I'm working really mm-hmm. hard on this here. I need you to to stop beating me up and give me the benefit of the doubt and the trust to solve this problem, you know, and like mm. just yeah. putting our foot down. Like basically it's like a, you know, back up. I know what I'm doing. Let me lead kind mm-hmm. of moment. And I don't think we do that enough. What do you think? Well, I mean, the bottom line, it, it, my approach with, with uh, working with the people in the investment bank mm-hmm. is they could care less, honestly. <laughs> the only thing that they wanted to see was results, Yeah. period. Gotcha. And, um, you know, and a lot of these guys are like traveling, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles a year visiting clients and they're doing, you know multi-million into the billion dollar deals. They don't care. They literally do not care. And so I just kind of realized that I needed to like put on my armor Mm -hmm. and just get stuff done and, Mm -hmm. and not feel too beat up by them. Like, and if I focus my energy on getting results And then that was fine. And with this guy, like, eventually he kind of begrudgingly came around. Yeah. But, you know, the problem was that he he had been able to do some things at his old company for many reasons because it was a boutique, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything was focused on that. And he 
you know, a lot of times I think people, they don't want to find somebody to blame right. instead of, you know, saying, you know, okay, I understand. And, and there were, there were definitely nice people that understood, right. but there were a lot of people that did not at all. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that my approach was really to just not care mm-hmm. about what they thought and mm-hmm. just to try to like harness my energy and focus it on getting results and, you know, trying to keep them calm so that they didn't upset the apple cart while I was trying to get something done. Right. And now that you're a coach and you work with senior executives and you, you really help them with like their direct directions and stuff like that, if someone mm-hmm. came to you as a client and they had this sort of issue and you know mm-hmm. how you handled it at the time, what would your advice be to them on how to handle it now? Do you think there's anything that you would advise someone to do differently or do you think it's kind of across the board of when people are questioning your leadership or they're questioning you you just need to like shut that out and just focus on the results only well I think that it I think that you do have I always used to tell people on my team that you had to play a good game of offense and you also had to play a good game of defense Uh and what I mean by that is yeah you have to focus on um you have to focus on the results Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most important thing. But you also have to make sure that people are not undermining you. Yeah. And so, you know, just as an example, in that situation, you know, I looked at the picture and I said, like, okay, who's important here? Like, this guy's important, but probably the person that I need to, to worry about is my boss, number one, mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. sure that she knew what was going on so that if he was complaining – that she wasn't losing confidence in me and right. and then his boss, mm-hmm. you know, who was the, what we called the sector head. So he was responsible for the whole industry sector group. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was, he was a lot more sympathetic in terms of me explaining the issue with the resources and how we were sort of, you know, having to start from scratch to get this platform put in place. He yeah. was, he was more uh, understanding and with the other guy, you know, he, I, I suppose that part of his issue was is that when, you know, when somebody comes in new, mm-hmm. they're under the gun to make deals. Right. And he was looking and saying, well, marketing needs to help me. And if we weren't set up to do that, you know, he, he was kind of like, what good are you? Which it's not, it's not right and it's not fair. But, you know, a lot of times people really are – you know, especially if they're in sales, they're really focused on selling and their, mm-hmm. their attitude is that marketing should be here to help me. And I don't care why you can't, but if you're not, it's not, it's not helping me and I'm right. going to complain about it. Yeah. Well, it also <laughs> and, sounds like and, he had a very specific method for achieving success that required the tools yeah. he had in his last job. Yeah. And therefore he's just thinking, I need That's to right. achieve success. And, you know, if this if they can't get me the tools that I need, then I'm not going to achieve success. So he's got his own issues going on. Yeah, But absolutely. a lot of people have their own issues and they will complain about you as a leader or you as a, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it has very little sometimes to do with your the decisions you've made or the way that you're leading and a lot more to do with what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that yeah. just happens. That happens all the time. So. I think that's a common theme. So what is your your best advice for that really is to understand well, who's in your corner? I think my best advice is to not take it personally, number yeah, one, yeah. and to, um, to focus on trying to achieve the results and also to mitigate 
any reputational risks. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so, and I guess that does go back to like the offense and the defense. Right. right? So that's um, having key conversations with certain stakeholders and people that you yes. know are going to be important in how you come off and come out of this reputationally and making sure that you've got yes. your, they've, they've heard your side basically. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they won't yeah. ask. They obviously, the, a lot of times yeah. they won't No, ask. they won't. Like they if won't. the shit hits and the whoever's fan. <laughs> yeah. screaming the loudest, right? Yeah. And you, you really want to have some control over the narrative. Mm. And it's important to recognize like, what would this person say? Mm. You know, what, it, what are they likely going to say? And there's a lot of people that are very cutthroat when it comes to that. They won't take even, one iota of responsibility and so it's really important to get in there and you know and especially I think unfortunately I think with from a marketing standpoint I think that I think that some people sort of demonize marketing yeah and and I've certainly seen it with you know some salespeople I mean I've had really great relationships with many many salespeople but there have been some salespeople that are like marketing what good are they you know, like and it's just really overhead. Re- That's yeah. so archaic. That's yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> such a silly exactly. thing. Marketing is all data and stuff. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> have you been on the internet right. in the last 10 years? Do you have a smartphone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I just, I was talking with somebody on my podcast the other day and we were talking about um, attribution and and how it's very difficult sometimes to figure out, okay, well, how much of this are we going to attribute to certain activities within marketing? And I, I kind of made the comment that I've seen some pe- salespeople that want to take 100% attribution for a sale. And I'm like, okay, like, where do you think that lead came from? You know, this, <laughs> you guys didn't like pull that out of thin air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so anyway. Oh my gosh. I mean, so, okay, so yeah. then, so what, what was then the thing that made you jump from being in like the head of marketing at this like huge company into into going to coaching how did that that transition look as you decided to well, make the change well you know i was i was um at that last company for 12 years and mm-hmm. i had four different jobs i wasn't yeah. the head of marketing for the whole company i was the head of marketing for three different businesses over the course of the time that i was there got it and um i you know the company was not based in the us Mm-hmm. We have, we have, you know, a big presence here, but it was foreign owned. And over the 12 years that I was working there, they were, they were sort of, you know, moving more and more of the decision-making control to the, the home office. And so the, I, I would look around and kind of say, there's not really anything that looks interesting to me. I, I was already pretty much at the top of kind of the marketing echelon mm-hmm. and, you know, the next level wasn't here in the US and I had no intention of moving. So I was really starting to think about like what, what might be next for me. Um, It ended up that the company went through a restructuring and I was able to leave without having another job. And it gave me a little time to, you know, kind of think about what do I want to do next? Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, the last couple years that I'd been there. I wasn't really happy with the role that I was in. It wasn't something that I actually even wanted. I was sort of coerced into taking this particular role and I never really felt like it was a great fit. So I, I wanted to spend a little time just thinking about what do I want to do next? And when I, when I left, I was thinking, okay, well, what, what am I good at and what do I like to do? Mm -hmm. And I really, really enjoyed the coaching and mentoring aspect of being a leader. And I'd gotten feedback from people that I was good at it. I always had um, better than, 
average employee engagement scores. So I, you know, I kind of knew I was doing a good job at that. So I decided to get a certification in coaching. And I always, you know, I knew that executive and career coaching was something that I had benefited from. And I, I just kind of thought like, okay, I love business. And I also love helping people. And I just thought that there was like a nice intersection there. But to tell you the truth, I did not think that I would be doing it full time. I just thought, okay, while I have this time off, I'll just, you know, go through this, this training program, and then I'll get another job. And maybe I'll have a couple of private clients on the side, and I'll use the skill at my next marketing job. But as I was going through the training, it was about a six month program. Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by a lot of people that were you know, deciding to start their own business. And I suppose it was just sort of contagious, <laughs> you know, uh, and I thought, yeah. well, why not? Okay, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty entrepreneurial. Like, even though I worked in the corporate world for a long time, I was what I call intrapreneurial. Like yeah. I was often working on new, brand new things. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I kind of had it in me. I did, I actually don't like other people telling me what to do. <laughs> you know, so Neither does Sylvie. I like, yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like looking and saying, okay, well, what, you know, what are the opportunities here? And um, so anyway, I, I thought I had it in me to run my own business. So Beautiful. And now here you are. And it's what, three years later, since you made that switch, and you've been doing coaching, you have your podcast. How's it going? Are you, are you enjoying the work? And how's and it all going? Who are the clients that you're you're working with the most? Like, because you do career coaching yeah. as well. That that's something that is I think is really interesting. So with career coaching, is that kind of you know like helping people to decide what their next steps are? Yeah, I mean, I I work with really three different types of people, but they all sort of float, or maybe three different types of scenarios, but they all flow into each other. Mm -hmm. um, and the first one is what I call, I would call executive coaching is helping people be more effective in their role. Okay. You yeah. know, so helping them understand what's going on, identifying any skill gaps, you know, being a sounding board for them so that they can take action in their role and be successful. Gotcha. Um, so that's, that's one uh, area. Another area is people that are in job search. You know, mm -hmm. they could they could have a job right now and be looking for another job and need someone to help them with everything from, you know, developing their job search strategy mm -hmm. to, you know, helping them with their resume and LinkedIn profile, interviewing skills, you know, negotiating that whole, you know, everything that goes on when you're looking for a job. Yeah. And then the third area is, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm not sure if I want to keep doing what I'm doing, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and I'd right. say that about half the time, what they, about half the time they'll say, oh, really what it was, was there's a, there was a skill de deficit. Mm. And once they figure out how to, you know, maybe do their job more efficiently, they fall back in love with it. Yeah. Because right? yeah. it's, um, and they decide that, no, I actually do like what I'm doing, or I do see opportunities here where I, I work right now. And then about half the time there, they decide, no, I really don't like what I'm doing anymore. And I'm starting to envision what I might want to do next. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, sometimes they'll continue working with me on job search. Sometimes they just are like, okay, thank you. I've gotten clarity on what's next. And now I'm going to pursue it on my own. Yeah. But wow. I've worked with, I've worked with people through all three of those 
you know, like I've had people that have come to me, like, I'm not really happy with my job. Yes. And we've gone through everything together, you know, and then, and then back again. And what percentage um, of your clients are male versus female? Is it an even split or? It's pretty much an even split. Yeah. And it's, it's um, funny because when I was going through training, there were a lot of women that really wanted to specialize in working with women. And Mm -hmm. I love working with women. Um, and I, I considered it, but I also like working with men. And one of the things that I found is that there are a lot of men that actually prefer working with women. Huh, I think yeah. that sometimes for them, it's easier to be a little more vulnerable uh-huh, with yeah. a woman. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really look, I really try to treat each of my clients as an individual, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't, because sometimes people ask me like, oh, well, you know, like, What's the difference between working with men and women? And there's yeah. some generalities, but yeah. you cannot pin it down and say, this is what women always do and this is what men always do because yeah. I have people of each gender that will do, you know. It can be like opposite. Yeah. Same, what the, but, yeah. what the gender stereotype <laughs> yeah. is and it's wrong exactly. to kind of overgeneralize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you, right. is there you anything really. at all that you say is more prevalent with women leaders versus male leaders or anything at all? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, I would say that women tend to be more perfectionistic. Mm. Women tend to feel like they have to do everything to succeed. Like women will want to check everything off of their to-do list. Yeah. And men tend to focus more, you know, and and say, I'm only, this is my highest priority and this is what I'm going to focus on. And, um, and that's, that can be hard for women, to do yeah. that. You know, they, yeah. they feel like maybe they're inadequate if they haven't checked everything off the list. And that's huh. a, that's a blind spot that can actually get in, in the way of advancement. Yeah. How can it get in the way of advancement? Well, they're not investing their time and effort for the largest return on investment. Gotcha. You know, if you're, if you're spending, um, I always say to people, like, focus on your highest value work mm-hmm. right. and delegate or don't do some of the things that are not high value work. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I think that, well, I, I'll go back to like earlier in my career. Sometimes I would see people getting promoted and I would be puzzled because in my mind, they weren't, you know, quote unquote, good employees. I'd be like, gosh, that guy never returns my email or he always yeah. comes to meetings late or he skips meetings and and then he'd get promoted. Yeah. And I'd be like, that, does, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah. But as time went on and as I rose, I started realizing like, oh, well, he is working and some or she, you know, it's not yeah. always a he, but um, they were working on something that was important to somebody within the organization and they were focused on that and they were delivering results and they were making an impact. Yeah, they were making very conscious choices about things that they weren't doing uh-huh. yeah. so that they had the time and energy to work on those important things. It's interesting. I, I find the... Um... And it's kind of goes along with what you're saying. Like personally, my biggest barrier is like learning that killing yourself, like doing everything and working out, working everyone, mm-hmm. you know, like just working all the time, yeah, throwing yourself into things like we, you know, we produce amazing results and, and I work for a really cool company. But 
the like everything has to be like what the stuff that you're talking about, you know, mitigating reputational risks and advocating for yourself and all of that other stuff matters just as much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like sometimes, you know, you could work less hard and produce less brilliant results, but do those other things mm-hmm. and achieve the promotions and things that you want. But mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like most a lot of women just throw themselves in. They just work, work, work so hard. Um, but then don't do the other things and they don't necessarily rise as fast as others. Yeah. I think sometimes, too, when people make themselves indispensable, they can't be promoted mm. because they're not going to be able to replace them. Yeah. Right. If you're doing three people's jobs because you're working so hard, you're not going to get promoted. <laughs> you know, because they're like, nobody can replace that person. Yeah. Um, wow, I hadn't thought about it that yeah. way. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a mis- it's a mistake. That's why I say, you know, work on the highest value work. Mm. And um, hopefully my dog is like making a weird sound. Hopefully oh. it's not going <laughs> to. Uh, she almost sounds like she's got a hairball. Oh, <laughs> it's always when the podcast, you're like recording a podcast or something that like, people or animals around you start making weird noises. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and exactly. you're like, what? What's happening? Um, yeah. Anyway, we it's really, really cool what you're doing with yeah. the executive coaching. Like, there's been so many little golden nuggets that are coming from this chat for sure. But you haven't quite given up marketing. And yes. you have a marketing podcast called Marketing Mambo. So what, because yes. this is quite a recent thing as well. So wh- why did you start uh-huh. it? Did you miss marketing? Like, t- tell us how you, you yes, started the podcast. Of course. I do. I love marketing and I, marketing is in my DNA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't walk away from marketing, <laughs> oh, no. but I was talking, I actually do a lot of coaching with people that work in marketing and advertising. And I think people like working with me because they don't need to explain a lot. I understand, mm-hmm. you know, the challenges of being a marketer or working in advertising and the pressure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I was talking with one of my clients, back in December, who is a marketing consultant. And we just got off on this like really interesting conversation about the intersection of marketing and technology. And she said, oh my gosh, this is such an interesting conversation. This will make a really interesting podcast. And I was like, <laughs> ding, ding. Yes. And I, I, it got me thinking, and I've been on a lot of podcasts. So, you know, I've been on this side of the mic and I mm-hmm. thought, hmm, you know, I, I, it got me thinking. And plus, I worked in marketing for 30 years. I know so many interesting people. Yeah. And so I started thinking, like, well, what do I what do I want to what would it be about? And I, I thought, oh, well, like talking to people about their careers in marketing. And, yeah. you know, and I I was trying to come up with a good name. And I was like, marketing careers. I was like, OK, that's totally boring. And so I was looking for I was looking for alliteration. Yeah. And I came across Mambo. And then I started looking up, like, what does that mean? And uh, Mambo actually is a, a word from the Yoruba dialect, which is an African dialect, uh-huh. and it means to talk. And, uh-huh. it, and actually in, uh, in Africa, I don't know what country, but it can be used as slang for what's up. And so I was like, perfect. Huh. What's up <laughs> in marketing, right? Yeah, it is. It actually... It is a dance. It is a dance. It's um. It's like talking it was, with your uh, hips. It comes from Cuba. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the um, you know, the the Africans who were brought to Cuba and you know enslaved there. Yeah. 
you know, kind of brought their culture from Africa and then kind of made this new culture, you know, the music and the dance and all of that. But, um, yeah. So, and then plus I just love the, you know, the rhythm. I like mambo music. So, it just is fun. It's so fun. And it's a, and you talk about kind of obviously people's career stories, but also like what's going on with marketing and thought leadership. Um, so mm-hmm. I thought we would have a little preview and talk about <laughs> what we think is going to be big in marketing this year for, well, 2021 and beyond. Like what, what changes are you seeing? Um, what trends do you think marketers or business owners need to be aware of? Um, and what's, what's getting you most excited about marketing this year? Oh, wait, I feel like you're putting me on the spot, right? <laughs> um, I actually just, you know, this, I thought that this was pretty fascinating. I had a, a guest on my um, podcast, uh, just, I think just this past week, I've been editing the the episode. And she and a partner came up with this um, training for the C-suite on digital marketing. Huh. And I was really fascinated by that. And she said, well, you know, A lot of even chief marketing officers, like they're somewhat removed from the day to day of digital marketing and they need to be able to explain, uh, you know, the the return on the investment and know the language and be able to talk to the board or the CEO Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that that was really fascinating. And that's that's one of the things that I hear a lot of um, about in, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a repeating trend is that. A lot of people that are not in marketing don't understand the importance of marketing or what marketing's objective Mm. is within the organization. And I think a lot of times people will sort of compartmentalize marketing when in fact, I think branding and marketing is the responsibility of everybody in an organization. Yeah. And uh, so I think that um, I don't know that that this is definitely a trend. I think it should be a trend Mm -hmm. that um, there should be more fluency in marketing throughout organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, why does it exist? Why are we spending money on it? It is. It's interesting. I've definitely noticed a shift in the past couple of years. It's like, um, you know, if you couldn't prove you'd be working with a lot of companies and if you couldn't prove the ROI specifically, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't want to engage in an initiative or pay for it. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like and the some of the best marketing, you can't prove the ROI specifically, like some of the best brand campaigns, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the the company and their product just got really popular afterwards and it seemed like a mystery, you know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and they didn't yeah. understand things like how, why does engagement matter? Why do impressions matter and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. But I do think more mm-hmm. C-suite, especially, and maybe I'm biased because I work in tech, but more C-suite members are trying to understand what's going on there and want to know, you know, there's an audience now for that conversation mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think I think um they're in in tech that it does make sense because so much of you know digital marketing is is based in technology right and yeah. so it just I think it makes sense but I can tell you coming from like an old school industry of financial services oh, that yeah. there were a lot of people that did not understand yes and did look at marketing as an expense rather than an investment and that's, you know, it's, it's a tough job to begin with. But I think that when people are looking at you very skeptically, like, mm-hmm. you know, what good are you? Right. <laughs> you know? It's disempowering. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really is. And then yeah. also I, I worked in the B2B areas, which are complex, long sales cycle sales. Mm-hmm. And 
it can be very difficult to, to measure, you know, I mean, we did a lot of events, right? And it's like, okay, how can I tell whether the reason why we closed that deal is because the guy came and was able to talk with, you know, several subject matter experts and the CEO at this event that we did. Right. It's just, you know, there's, it all, there's, there's some correlations, but you can't, you can't like pin it specifically and say, well, this is what caused that to happen. We actually have a whole separate set of OKRs that is just built around, um, you know, proliferating our brand and expressing our brand. And we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't try to um, tie sales back to Mm -hmm. those efforts. We try to tie other things back to those efforts, like how many community members Mm -hmm. joined and how many, you know, how many reshares are we getting and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. so that we can show how much organic exposure we're getting. Mm -hmm. But that is really new. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that in the past, I would have C-suite members and I would talk about it and I would have C-suite members just kind of glaze over. Like you could see, (laughs) you could see them glaze over. But then the ones that were like, okay, fine, we'll chuck a little bit of money at it. All of a sudden they're getting better results. And and then you're like, see, see, but it's really hard to get that first investment, I guess, unless you can explain it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I usually would you know, look for the people that understood, Yeah. you know, and, and try to, you know, be sort of laser focused on working with those people. And then once you had some success, I would go around and like brag to everybody else about, <laughs> look, I worked with Greg and look at the results that he got. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, I, I, tr- I wouldn't try to convert the the resistant. I would yeah. really try to work with the people that were already advocates or understood. And then, you know, once you have proof of concept and then other people are like lining up outside your door. Right. <laughs> God, you're good at office politics. You're so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it wasn't, it didn't start off that way. I just kind of learned as time went on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if somebody wants to work with you or listen to your podcast, Terry, where can they find you? Well, my podcast, you can find it at marketingmambo.net. And if somebody is interested in getting in touch with me, they can go to my website, which is terrybmcdougall.com, or they can uh, get in touch with me through LinkedIn. And my handle on LinkedIn is terrybmcdougall. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for a really, really cool chat. It was great to speak with you. And um, it was, I think, a very helpful episode for a lot of people. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. We're so excited to uh, be connected with you. We'll, we'll stay connected on every single channel. We'll chat soon. Okay, that sounds great. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by invoice to go We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, Listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.